This is a news laundry podcast and you're listening to NL Hafta. Angrez apna lagan aur news laundry apna hafta kabhi nahi chhodte. We are back with another episode of Hafta. This is the 301st and this one too we are recording from our homes and not from office like we usually record because there has been one more case of covid and until we get everybody tested and make sure that all the producers and editors are fine we shall not all be assembling at office like we do every thursday to record the hafta so it is 12 noon we are recording from home and this week there will be no tippani or nuisance either because we just want to make sure that we don't get people together in office until everyone's been tested and i think um, most tests have been done i got tested yesterday and contrary to my fear it's not that painful it was okay okay so I you thought you would really like i don't know put something drastic up my nose because fine so uh, before i introduce our panel uh, other than the announcement that we will not be uploading um, nuisance and tippani this week i wanted to ask all our viewers and listeners and subscribers what do you think of our new website please send us feedback uh, because this website is just about a week old we are still fixing some glitches so do give us feedback because we're going to be incorporating a lot of those things and regarding the podcast player many of you can't find the podcast player it's on the top right hand corner in the shape of a mic so when you click on that it drops down the full podcast list the player and it is a brand new podcast player created especially for you i shall tell you a little more announcements that we have but first on the panel today is manisha hi manisha hello mehraj coming to us from his home hi mehraj hello and joining us on the phone line from delhi though she has recently returned from bihar is arfa khanum who will be telling us a lot more hi arfa hi everyone so arfa i'll just um, give a little bit about you though i'm sure most people would know who you are uh, you have been a reporter with ndtv uh, for i mean you've been i think two decades in in the journalism now yes and most recently uh you are uh, doing a lot of stuff for wire you've done a bunch of interviews some ground reports and we hope you'll regale us with some stories of bihar since you were there for just about a week or under a week but did you get tested after you got back because i saw the rallies there it's insane uh well i was advised to but i kind of uh, quarantined myself for about a week and i found there was zero symptoms so i didn't want to go through what uh, manisha has because i've already tested myself twice and i came negative so i didn't want to go for the third time right so uh, but but did you maintain better social distancing than say what i saw shrinivasan jain of ndt maintaining where he was really going into people and well i think that the only option reporters like me had were to protect themselves so i was all masked up all my almost less than a week time there in fact in tejasvi yadav rally i don't know whether you watched the video there were the sea of people without masks and everybody got got scared just by looking at the picture so i think the only thing that you could do was to save yourself so i i did that and and thankfully i'm fine right uh, so before we discuss bihar elections and many other things uh, manisha can you give us the headlines of what made the news this week yes the biggest news of the week was republic tv editor arnab goswami being detained in a 2018 suicide abetment case he's been sent on a 14 day judicial remand additionally mumbai police constables have filed an fir against arnab goswami his wife and his son for allegedly obstructing police officers from carrying out their duties this is something we will discuss in great detail uh, at bihar protesters threw onions at cm nitish kumar's rally in madhubani 53.5 one voter turnout by tuesday at 5 pm in the elections and results will be out on november 10th up is working towards a law to curb incidents of love jihad haryana madhya pradesh and karnataka might follow suit amrinder and sidhu uh, were spotted at a rally together in jantar mandir in protest and that's 
unusual. Massive protests in Goa against making the state a coal hub. Ministers ensured a cap on coal imports. Uh, meanwhile, US elections have been the talk of town all over, I think, in India and the world around. Biden is leading with a historic vote record. Democrats retain control of the House and there's a tie in the Senate. The elections are still uh, ongoing and as we speak, um, votes are being counted. But Trump already has declared victory and he said that uh, they should finish voting and he's claimed fraud and he said he'll go to Supreme Court to dispute the counting. He's also sued in three states. Meanwhile, Trump supporters have also converged on voting counting centers in Detroit and Phoenix and urged to stop the voting. So there's full-on conspiracy theories. Although it is all counting, voting was yeah. over when it was supposed to get over. Hmm. Twitter flags Donald Trump's tweet after he accused Democrats of stealing elections. In India, opposition has asked Tamil Nadu governor to free Rajiv Gandhi's case convicts. Uh, back in US, Indian origin congressman wins US House race for third term. Delaware and Vermont will elect their first US transgender state legislators. ISIS has claimed credit to Vienna terror attack. Uh, two men and two women died of wounds after gunmen opened fire at six locations in Vienna. This was on Monday. On Thursday last week, a woman was beheaded as three people were killed at a church in France. The mayor has dubbed it a terror attack. This happened in the French city of Nice. Right. So um, that's all that made the news. And I'm sure there's lots to discuss. The US election has kept us all, I guess, entertained in the last few uh, weeks. But let's first start with the Bihar election. Since Arfa has been there, she can give us some sort of an idea. Arfa, um, just give us an idea of A, what is the general turnout there like? Are people excited? Are they getting out? Or because of COVID, rallies are not that well attended? Um, from what one reads, in the newspapers, it is open season for Nitish. I think even BJP is doing their slimy bits to thwart Nitish. Nitish. And I just saw a, a speech where uh, Nitish has obviously, uh, in reference to Yogi Adityanath, said, Ye sab faltu hai, bakwas hai. Because in a speech, Yogi Adityanath had said, Sab infiltrators ko hum bhej denge wapas. Of course, his, that's his dog whistle for Muslims. But I guess he means that people who don't get an RCOC. I don't know what Adityanath means. But Nitish, if you see that speech, has said, Koi bahar ka hai, sab Hindustani hai, sab Indians hai. So clearly all is not well between the BJP and Nitish as well. So has Nitish been isolated? Is Tejasvi also attacking him? BJP also treating him like shit? Is it curtains for him? Or is he the quintessential survivor like he has survived for so long? You know, this, I think, gives away the whole story and the whole um, infighting within that uh, NDA uh, house that Nitish Kumar is still is popular amongst the Muslim voters that are what I could uh, get from there speaking to maybe a variety of people from different class caste groups even within Muslims and but then Muslims are going to be very very of uh, going for Nitish voting for him because this eventually will mean again voting for the BJP so as much as uh, Nitish Kumar I, I wouldn't call him uh, a pro-Muslim leader but he is certainly not an anti-Muslim leader and he tries to reach to his Muslim voters which he did even this time around even if this meant publicly kind of giving it off to um, Yogi Adityanath and that to publicly and in Simanchal region where we heard things like this BJP guy uh, saying in a public rally Jinnah uh, ka munna to this guy uh, um, uh, Aligarh Muslim University ka students union ka former president 
Mashkur Usmani. Um, they, they, they tried all their, their best to create this controversy around this young Muslim leader who I, I tweeted and a lot of people kind of trolled me for this. I said, even in this very broken democracy of ours, where we have seen in the last five, six years, such anti-Muslim politics where, you know, from legal to uh, every which way, they're trying to kind of disempower them. And even, even then, you know, young Muslims are standing up and trying to look for a bright future in India's democracy. So that aside, I've covered several elections, even last Bihar election also I covered. I also went last year to Bihar. Um, but trust me, I think I have never found such a strong undercurrent for a leader. And that too, like they just three other. So, so why I'm saying this is that Tejasvi Yadav is not somebody, a new face. He comes with a baggage. You know, some people can say it's also a legacy. So for some people, Lalu Yadav is a legacy. For, for some, it would be a baggage. Um, I saw Tejasvi very conflicted that he did not know whether to, to call his father a legacy or maybe a baggage. Um, there are different kind of advisors. Uh, I don't think I can say it as much on the show because they wouldn't like to be named, but there are different kind of advisors Tejasvi has at the moment. Uh, uh, where some of them would actually try to kind of project him as uh, Akhilesh Yadav was projected in 2017, if you remember, in assembly elections in Uttar Pradesh, very yes. much on the lines of, uh, you know, inspirational India, inspirational Uttar Pradesh, Kalka Uttar Pradesh, not really considering that nothing can be said and nothing can be concluded without keeping the history in mind. And, and you know, history in Bihar, on Uttar Pradesh, especially in Bihar, the 15 years, you know, that the, the BJP is trying to project it as Jungle Raj. And also called it uh, Tejasvi Yadav quote that he is Yuvraj of Jungle Raj. Yes. Which means they again trying to consolidate the same upper caste anti-RJD voters. So I thought what the strategy for, of the RJD was, which is actually also leaving a lot of people angry, kind of cheated, people who believe in the politics of social justice, who, who believe in not just a pro-backward politics, but also they say it cannot be done without an anti-upper caste politics, anti-forward politics. Because remember, the whole politics of Lalu Yadav was, it had not just undercurrent, I would say, on the face of it, very overtly, it wasn't a contempt for the upper caste. If you remember this, this quote, this phrase that he used to use, Bhura Bal, which means Brahman and Banya, unke khilaf, uh, you know, Bhura Bal Hatao was, was the slogan. So what I'm trying to say here is that even if Tejasvi Yadav, he comes with this very strong legacy or baggage, he's trying to present himself as this new leader who, who is for development, who's for economic justice, who's going to give new Bihar. He's an old person. He may be a new guy. He may be a new young man of 30, all of 31 year old. But, you know, he cannot be seen without Lalu Yadav. But tell me, I mean, I, uh, I mean, not that I'm the typical voter that political parties in Bihar are trying to attract, but I just get a very bad vibe from Lalu's son. He seems like the kind of kid who, I mean, once he gets power, he'd like, he'd be even worse than Lalu was in the sense of, you know, when that Rayala happened and people walked into auto showrooms and took cars as long as on buses, they just took it. I mean, you couldn't say anything. I mean, he ran it like his backyard. This boy and I, I think and all the, you know, jhagadas that happened within their family with that other brother who dresses up as sometimes as Christian, sometimes as a girl, sometimes as Radha. They just, they just seem very uh, gharelu type, you know, Ki bhai ghar ki hai. very betakalluf. There's, there's no formality to them the plan of running the party or the state. But is that what you get from him? I mean, you've met him. Do you think he is, he really understands the significance of governance or he'll be a chutta saan, I think I, 
disagree with you, Abhinandan. This is, you know, I would say this is a very upper caste narrative. I would say this is a very Delhi journalist narrative. We know that Indian media, particularly the Hindi media, is so heavily upper caste. And the Hindi media people, more than 70% of them come from UP and Bihar, and they come with their biases. They come with their narratives. So to to brush uh, the entire 15-year rule of Lalu Yadav without actually putting it in black and white, what Lalu Yadav achieved. Uh, That would be a huge injustice to his legacy. And as someone who truly and very deeply and passionately believes in the politics of backward people, and I believe that the first thing to crush them, to crush the backward politics is to, to demonize their icons, to demonize their slogans, to just say that you know, Pishnoka Raj is all Gunda Raj. I even tweeted that. And, you know, Agunoka Raj is all but the Bo Mangal Raj hai or Bo Ram Raj hai. So this is the narrative. You know, this is part of the narrative. I would say out of that 15 years, the last five years of Lalu Yadav, which was actually Rabri uh, uh, Raj, that was something that we can say something closer to Jangal Raj. So I think Tejasvi is very mindful of the fact that this is the kind of baggage that he carries. This is something that he has to run away from. If you would have noticed, there are no pictures, no hoardings, no discussion of Lalu Yadav at all. In fact, I would say it is not Tejasvi who is asking for votes in the name of Lalu Yadav. It is actually the BJP, Narendra Modi and Nitish Kumar who are asking for votes against Lalu Yadav. So you can say Lalu is a bhoot, you know, he's a ghost. He's there and he's not there. So there can be no politics without Lalu Yadav in Bihar. Rest assured. So I think he is he is a transformed man from what I saw last year. Last year also looks by election, I interviewed him. You know, as an as an interviewer who has interviewed maybe hundreds of politicians in the last 20 years, he was a completely transformed politician. Last interview may. I would have given him maybe four out of 10. And in this interview, I asked him very tricky questions like on Lalu Yadav, like on social justice, things that he's trying to run away from. Itna smartly And I would give him maybe 9.5 out of 10. He was very good. He was brave. He, he knew his, his, what he was talking about. There's clarity in the messaging. And that I think is, is one of the reasons of his success. Messaging is clear. Or messaging is very clear. So, you know, suppose today I know what Tejasvi Yadav's election plan is. So, um, Manisha, Mehraj, uh, you guys want to weigh in and what is your view of what you have been reading? Are you also afflicted by the upper class bias? And by the way, I'm sorry, I'm saying this, someone who is an upper caste person. So I'm saying that, that this I, I don't think there's any doubt about that existing. But yeah, I mean, but I, I, I think there's more than a couple of issues on that. But I just want to come back uh, after Manisha and Miraj have spoken on that entire family feud is that's resolved you know, with Misa and the other brother. What, what's his name? Tej Pratap. So, but yeah, Manisha, what, what is your view of what you have been reading and observing and speaking to your friends who I'm sure are also on the ground there? Yeah, and our reporters also on the ground. But it is true that when you... I've been watching a lot of uh, Maria Shakil who's been on the ground and it's true that when she's going around talking to people, it's... In fact, there was one very interesting bite where she brought on the jungle Raj. You know, there were three morning walkers and they were like, you know, koi development nahi hua hai aur ab to yuva ki lehar chal rahi hai, which is to indicate ki Tejasvi... Now, either they were really hardcore RJD supporters or they were genuinely voters who were fed up with Nitish's whatever rule but she brought on uh, jungle raj she said ki par lalu ke time pe jo tha hum the yahan pe aur kitna uh, kathin tha mahilaon ke liye ghumna and all and they kind of you know negated it and said that ye propaganda phailaya gaya hai ki sab kuch hi jungle raj tha aisa nahi hai ki pura jungle raj tha however i have had friends who 
lived in Lalu's Bihar. It was no great paradise of social justice for a lot of people. I, I mean, there was, there's no doubt that there was gundaism, criminal activities, attacks on journalists. So, I mean, I'm, I guess it's somewhere in the middle. If you really want to assess someone's legacy, I guess it is, you have to look at the whole 15 years. But as far as Bihar elections is concerned, I, I will just uh, wait and observe on what happens on the final day. I really can't say anything about it because you know what happened the last time where <laughs> all journalists and uh, were, you know, talking about how Nitish has been taught a lesson and then he won. Well, and also, you know, that famous NTTV uh, incident where Shekhar Gupta and Pranay were talking about how, you know, Nitish had been taught a lesson for the first one hour and then they were so the next one hour they were explaining how he why he came back to power so i would just want to observe Nitish without... is a wily guy he can go anywhere you never know i mean in him amit has found his match you know also manisha abhinandan you know i did a show you know it's so intriguing because i wasn't there in bihar of course 15 years ago so i i don't have a lived experience of jungle raj i mean i've i've, I've read things during my phd thesis and also you know as as an inquisitive person curious journalist but so I conducted a whole debate on this issue, whether this was a jungle raj or not. And I, I got Dalit professors to talk about, I, I got upper caste editors to talk about who have established this entire theory of jungle raj. I would advise, uh, if this, this doesn't come under self-promotion, but I would advise your viewers, your audience to look at this, uh, this debate. It's a half an hour long debate, very fascinating debate this was, where this Dalit professor says, when I ask him, uh, ki, you know, matlab, um, what is the difference? Why it is called a jungle raj? So he says, Pehle Dalitun ko ek lathi ek dande se haank liya karte the. Ke sab log bhaag jau. Aaj unhe gaon ke andar bhagane ke liye goli chalani padti hai. So which means what he was trying to say is that this is actually was the assertion of backward people. And he said, people only talk, talk about you know, from 90 to 2005, they don't, do not talk about what it was like before the 90s. Like, you know, what La- Lalu Yadav was trying to demolish was so ugly. You know, his fight struggle, would it, it could not never not have been pretty. Peaceful. So what also, he was trying to also do... Also that time, I remember the Radhveer Sena and all were very active in Bihar at that time. But, but, yeah, yeah. but isn't it true, Arfa, that uh, what ultimately led to was uh, consolidation of Yadavs and emergence of Yadavs as a dominant caste? And OBC politics is the dominant. And Dalit still had to bear the brunt of oppression from OBCs True. and Yadavs. Yadavs so, specifically. So it's a mixed story. As you said, it's somewhere in between, Manisha. Exactly. There are many truths which are not necessarily, you know, contradicting each other. This mm. is also true and this is also true. And also brother-in-laws of Lalu Yadav. The kind of, the, I mean, they run amok and, and the kind of uh, hooliganism. Shahabuddin crime syndicate. Yes. That was, but yes, I guess sorry. also I guess like fifteen years is so long. It can't be one thing actually. Absolutely not. But Mehraj, you want to come in? Uh, just a couple of points. I mean, uh, like Arfa also pointed out, it was no heaven before Lalu came, right? I mean, if you remember, just before he came to power, there was the Bagalpur massacre, the pogrom. It's another matter that he didn't do much about it later, but that's another matter. And this, what Arfa was talking about, this sort of upper caste, uh, upper caste bias, which makes all the people who are not part of the club into these villains and launders the reputations of people who are really, really wild. Just the other day, the print published an article, a profile of Tejasvi Surya, that Hyderabad BJP person. Mm. I mean, he's as wild, as bigoted a person as there can be. Mm. And the way that profile was, it was like he was this like God-given new leader of BJP. I just want to add to the Tejasvi thing, like fiery speaker. He's not fiery. He's a bigoted guy. I mean, a lot of things that he says are pure 
But you know, when I was talking to these people from Yadav community, they said that pe- people used to say that shaam ke baad aurto ka nikalna thik nahi hai. They said for backward women, for Dalit women, din mein utha ke le jaya karte the 90s se pehle. So you are only talking about that all women were unsafe during Lalu, but before Lalu, only particular women from particular background were so unsafe that you didn't even need to kind of wait for the sunset or wait for the policemen to go away. You would do it in their presence. and there used to be customs like women um, from the lower caste groups when they will be married they will be first go to thakur sahabs thakur sahabs ke paas jaake then they will go to their family you know we we've, we've had films made on these subjects so, so so this is something we can't really say that if that was not jungle raj and in fact i would argue what we are experiencing in the last 5 6 years abhinandan is that not jungle raj is this what what's happening in uttar pradesh is that not jungle raj i think that it's interesting because i think there are several realities here but the one thing that i actually probably disagree with both you and mehraj is that everyone is the same because that is a classic right wing trope that you know obama is the same as trump or or you know uh, akhilesh is as good or bad as yogi adityanath because look at the statistics look at the data and i have had enough people who have made this case so i for one would not say atal and yogi are the same yes atal there is that one speech it's on youtube where he has said zameen sama samtal karni padegi whatever it is and he also and does have his roots rsts but the moment we say everyone is the same then one is doing exactly what extremes from all sides want now while i do admit that i'm sure bihar was no land of milk and honey before lalu I have met Lalu. I have interviewed him as a reporter back in the '90s when he was like everybody wanted Lalu because he would call someone onto the stage and you know garland him. He used to break convention. He was not this unapproachable neta. But when you spoke to him, the way he spoke, he scared you. Now one can say Obama bombed Iraq and Afghanistan as much as Bush, but I don't think they're the same because. <clears throat> I mean, it's like saying that is there data to suggest that women have been grabbed more by the pussy after Trump said that? No, maybe there's no data. But how a leader conducts him or herself matters. And the way Lalu used to talk, "Arey ham ye kar denge, arey kon rokega?" And I have seen him talk like that. And maybe Kamal Nath didn't talk like that, and maybe he was as corrupt. But just I think to completely absolve leaders just because they are from a backward caste of their utterances or how the optics of their Utterances play out. I think is a disservice to governance 
and to the cast equation i don't think one can say this is okay because they had because if rajiv gandhi is suave enough to come across as clean maybe he was doing dirty stuff it it makes a difference optics matter and that is a separate i think set in itself so i i and that is why i thought um, kanshiram was a way more effective a leader for the dalits than chandrashekhar will ever be because when you spoke to kanshiram he came across as a man of the plan he knew what he was saying he said that right now it's anarchy for us i want to make it like this you know he had that pen thing he used to keep doing and i get that anarchy for everybody is as good or bad as anarchy for one bit but i don't think you know someone like um uh, chandrashekhar and not because of any other reason will have the stature of a kanshiram because you can never be that effective if you're not that good in at least the dream you're selling that's my view arfa what do you think no abhinandan i would say um, i think i partially agree with you uh, like i would never say that yogi and uh, vajpayee are the same uh, for the fact that they both like their their end game and end plan may be the same they want to turn india into a hindu rashtra both yogi adityanath and both vajpayee vajpayee had a coalition government so he couldn't have been like that he wanted to be this very acceptable face um, now yogi didn't doesn't need to project himself as acceptable his politics is anti muslim politics vajpayee's politics at least the optics was not because he was very much a part of a coalition government so i would say rather when we look at look back in history whether it's lalu prasad yadav or atal bihari vajpayee or anybody uh, we have to also look at the times that they lived in and the, the the politics of that time so what lalu yadav stood for how he is remembered now is also we cannot remove him from the time and age that he lived in and the politics that was before lalu and what he did to indian politics so i'm not saying that we can really all these kidnapping violence hooliganism all of that we can never justify even if this was this is done by backward people or forward people all i'm trying to say is when we draw parallels when narendra modi now says in election rallies that hum us jangal raj ke yuvraj ko aap elect kar rahe hain we should remind him that what we are living right now we don't have a memory of 15 years ago maybe 18 year old voter who will be voting for the first time would have been 3 year old and he would have zero memory of what lalu yadav was like but we we do have a memory of what we have lived in the last 6 years and also abhinandan i think we should also remind our audience that you know at different points in time the victim of that particular politics would be different so maybe lalu yadav's politics was in favor of backward people and for upper caste and for uh, you know politically entitled people even equality they feel is oppression because they're so used to privilege they are so used to preferential treatment that for them equality even just being equal with backward people would be oppression and that's why the call lalu yadav's uh, uh, rule as oppressive because it it came about as something that you know thakur ka vote or dalit ka vote yadav ka vote or brahman ka vote would would be equal which actually is the promise of indian constitution either the radvis bhavana still exists or is it spent so force it, done it has you know it has changed shape it is still there but maybe the time is not right for them yes in case you wondering radvir sena was the high caste i think bayana thakur force which used to kind of take badla huh. against the low caste because they have become so, so imagine the caste wars we had so so we should not really and also we should maybe you know how i look at history 
I look at history through the victim of that politics. Like I, if I want to remember the six years of Narendra Modi's rule, I would ask Muslims how they felt during the six years. I wouldn't ask Brahmins how they felt during Narendra Modi's rule because they are the victim of his politics. So if I have to ask before 90s, before Lalu, I would certainly ask how it was like, whether it was Jangal Raj or not. I'm going to ask Dalits and backward people. So this is my way. Maybe you may look at it differently, but this is my way of. And that is a good way. I think that's that's a this, good. This uh, is an important point. I mean, when coming back to what you were saying earlier about optics matters. Optics matters to who? Does it matter to a Muslim person that whether he is being demonized and killed by Vajpayee or Rogi? Does it matter to an Iraqi whether he is being bombed by Trump or Obama? Obama makes a great speech. Trump is a loudmouth bigot. But it matters to the people who are in power, who aren't affected by those optics, who aren't affected directly affected. So they concentrate on these on these optics. For the person, for the victim, how does it matter whether he's being bombed by Obama or Trump, whether he's being killed by Vajpayee or Yogi Adityanath? And here is where the problem is. I mean, the reputations have been laundered to such an extent. When you spoke about Vajpayee, you only talked about his that one speech. Vajpayee was also indicted for the Nelly massacre. Vajpayee was also, have we forgotten that he was prime minister in 2002? The ultimate responsibility for Gujarat rights rests on him. Hmm. Because he was the person who could have done, who could have removed Vajpayee. He chose not to because for him, that principle, yes. So have we forgotten that also? Have we forgotten that he was the member of the leading light of the Ayodhya movement? Why does that not fall on him? Because his reputation has been laundered. After he came to power, he was turned into this great statesman, great orator who says all the nice things. But look at the record. But that's, but that's not all that there is. Again, that's one side. I mean, he did make a peaceful overture to Pakistan, which I don't think any other BJP leader will ever do. Modi will definitely not. Uh, he did resume a bus service um, with great amount of success and I happen to see it. So there is that too. So I think there is, Vajpayee and Yogi are not the same because it, you could say because it's coalition or because it is different generation or values change over the years and we are in the age of bigotry. But uh, governance at a macro level is is always going to be complicated. I, I don't think there's any doubt about that, which is why I think nuance is a little more important when it comes to leadership and governance than, you know, dealing with regular people like you and me. Very true. And that's why I'm saying that it depends on who you ask, whether Vajpayee was a statesman or he was a communal bigot, that depends on who you ask, right? But because the narrative in this country is built by the upper caste people who are in the media, who are in the politics and everywhere, so you only get to see that one side of the equation. You don't listen to the other side. And that's a problem. Yeah, quickly, but just one thing. So I'm saying I was reading, I think this was Amartya Sen or someone else, and who said, and this is very, I think it's, it fits what we are talking about right now, that India, for that matter, you know, it's different to different people. If you hear seven people, they will tell you seven different stories and all those seven stories are true. This is also a structural problem. I mean, this is the way the media is organized in this country, the way it's owned by who it owns, who owns it, who runs it, how politics is operated. So these are structural problems. I mean, narratives don't just build by themselves. They're built, they're created. By individuals and where those individuals come and their life experience matters. Precisely. Manisha? I think, I mean, I would agree that I don't think there's a 
really such a drastic comparison that you can make between yogi and vajpan i think even minorities in this country would at least if you read from the op-eds and all there is a distinction that people will draw between vajpay and modi and yogi and also modi there's no denying that vajpay was a hindutva politician he was i mean his ideology was hindutva so to that effect he did rally for a ram temple he did say that hindus needed their own you know whatever temple in the land of uh, lord ram's birth and all that but he didn't give speeches in the way that uh, you know he would he yogi sat next to a guy who literally said that you know you should rape you should take out women from their grave and rape them and he was sitting there aram se apne nakhun kaat raha tha jo bhi kar raha tha vajpay was not that sort of a guy but of course he was a hindutva politician so he did uh, but to say that i i would say that even hindutva politics has shades like any other you know politics vajpay didn't have to make those bigoted state speeches because advani was doing it for him but even advani didn't make the kind of speeches that yogi did exactly now somebody this else is, is doing it for somebody else until 5 years ago it was modi doing it now he no, doesn't need to somebody else is doing it i mean it's like saying tejasvi is same as vajpayee is same as i think there are i mean hindutva politics is a huge umbrella within that are also there are shades and it's a reality of india i mean this has been around for the 1940 so even before vajpayee and before uh, atal bihari vajpayee there was a hindu mahasabha saying things that goes without saying i mean because these are different individuals they'll be different but the i mean if you have to really look at who they are you have to look at their work at their record not what they said coming back to bihar arfan is coming to that also also if you could tell me about you remember there was some uh, misa wanted to be the primary like legacy carrier forward of their politics and then they just people how did that family drama play out yeah so this is also very tactfully you know he has handled he's like kind of silenced everybody in the family for the greater good for the greater higher purpose that look let me become the chief minister and everything would be good afterwards i think this has been one of his biggest achievements to set his house in order before he stepped out to ask for votes from people so i would really will have to give it to tejasvi also i wanted to tell you that suppose what lalu yadav did in the 90s and and his son 30 years from now his politics is completely different you know i'm saying the the ground on which he's standing was built by lalu yadav at that point in time before the 90s lalu yadav had to do a politics which was representative of his time what he was fighting now since lalu yadav has done all of that for tejasvi we cannot even imagine like we, i i have people uh, telling us that you know we will be tejasvi will be acceptable if he comes minus lalu yadav Wow. This is again a very upper caste narrative that if you talk like us, if you do not hurt our interest, if you do not have a sense of contempt for us, if you do not talk about the injustices of the past, if you do not talk about reservation, if you do not talk about privatization, if you do not talk about Modi's saffron politics, divisive politics, if you also keep the dari topis behind the stage, then you will be acceptable to us. So basically, what we are talking about is that after all, it's going to be the the politics of hindu supremacy that's going to be in the foreground now the the carrier of that politics can be narendra modi who is an obc can be a tejasvi yadav who is a yadav and obc so as long as the objective the the objective of the ideology is achieved anybody can do it uh, and abhinandan is as good as an afghan sherwani as long as you are implementing manusmriti as long as you are killing constitution as long as you are not talking about the interest uh, and uh, of the marginalized people and equality and freedom so i think if tejasvi is to forget everything that his politics stands for i do not see a difference between electing a tejasvi yadav or a nitish kumar and that's what i was trying to you know also tell you that there is 
this resentment amongst people who believe in the, the politics of social justice, uh, that Tejasvi Yadav is again trying to project himself, or maybe his advisors are telling him, oh, look, we have already achieved social justice, so now this is time for economic justice. Politics, which is not based on identity. So you are doing vikas. You are doing economic justice, but to whom? Oh. Kiska vikas? I want to ask Abhinandan ka vikas, Mehraj ka vikas. Kiska so vikas? There's, there's a sense of ki bhai, the, the dominant narrative of the dynamic caste dynamic would not be disturbed too much. So that is basically the ether in which politics should swim. Maybe having a Tejasvi to say whatever Lalu Yadav did was jungle raj. I am sorry for all whatever Lalu Yadav That would be almost as ironic as a recent arrest which we shall talk about. But <laughs> before that, uh, I had a but couple I think of... One last thing I wanted to add on the Lalu Prasad thing because you were talking about Lalu Prasad is the speeches he gave during uh, the Ram Temple movement. I don't think any leader today can tackle BJP the way he did. You know, he just took them head on. The speeches he made in favor of secularism hmm. and in favor of, you know, uh, him and even uh, the CPIM leader. On secularism, Lalu, uh, you know, on a lot of other stuff, he can be fault, faulted. But on that, he has been unwavering. In fact, even during the UPA time, when the Digvijay doing that against Uma Bharti, doing that little soft Hindutva thing and, uh, you know, whatever you want to call it. On this, his messaging was so clear and devoid of any political kind of calculations that it was even more clear than the Congress has ever been. And it has been clear since Lalu has been a political figure, I think. And Abhinandan, you remember that uh, that since Manisha is speaking of the speeches, when he said that when everyone dies, when everyone dies, who will play a song in the temple? You remember telling, you know, that was really a very famous speech. So that's what I'm saying. If you have to ask the jungle raj, ask the Bihar ke Muslims, ask the Dalits, ask the Yadavos, ask the jungle raj or not. And this Dalit professor was also saying that the jungle raj ka mat- this is what Manut Smithy says. And he begins his, his uh, answer by saying that a woman driving a Mercedes is actually Jungle Raj. You know, a, a, a Dalit having a moustache is Jungle Raj. And there was another Muslim professor and who said, Only this much. You have to look at people's words rather than the words. I mean, for all that Lalu did, when it came to prosecuting the accused of the Bhagalpur rights, he let them off, basically. Right. So, um, we have a reporter in Bihar, our young Basant, who has been sending us several reports and interviews. And in fact, he's kept our editors quite busy, which is a fantastic thing. He has been extremely productive uh, while he's been there. And I'd like to thank all of you who contribute to the NLCNA project. The project is still up. Our target was 5,40,000. We are approximately at 4,10,000. We're still about 1,30,000 short. So if you haven't already contributed to the NLCNA Bihar election project, please do because we really want to keep him there for a month and make sure that he can cover as much ground as possible so that we have more ground reports and less opinion pieces that other portals depend on because those are traffic drivers and not necessarily subscription drivers. So thank you so much. We've raised almost, I think, 70% of as much as we needed. And if you could top it up, then we could make sure that we don't have to cut any corners in making sure that our uh, reporter is well taken care of uh, while he's there. And also a couple of announcements about a new website. Uh, Some of you can't seem to find the new podcast player. It's on the top right-hand corner of the website. Uh, You can also go to the menu and click on podcast. But if you want to go to the single click shortcut, there's a mic on the top right corner. So you click on the uh, uh, mic icon on the homepage and it's 
and the experience is as good as any major podcast platform we are very proud and you know happy with what chitranshu uh, and nishan have been able to create it's fantastic so many of you have been missing the play i repeat click on the mic icon on the top of our homepage also we'll be putting the hafta behind the paywall soon it has been outside the paywall for a long time it's been free so we are keeping it free for a few weeks longer so you can get familiar with our podcast player and how to navigate around that after you're familiar with it we'll be pulling it behind the paywall so once all these issues are re- resolved it'll go behind the paywall so do use the next few weeks to familiarize yourself on our podcast player um so you'll have daily dose awful and awesome and alhafta all our podcasts our podcast player includes download option it includes speed control you can queue up podcasts let's say you want to listen to hafta episode 301 then you want to listen to awful and awesome then you want to listen to reporters or borders you can create a queue you can skip on specific topics so now you know haftas come with topics like we talk about bihar then talk about arnab then you talk about what happened in austria and france you can skip to any of those specific uh, sections and if you're still a mufat khor this is the best time to subscribe because we have a fantastic diwali say christmas tak offer where you can gift a subscription and fantastic swag with a nice beautiful scented candle uh and of course you have a tiranga soap sabki dhulai soap of news laundry so you get that with your subscription so this is the best time to subscribe so i repeat please go to newsrun.com on the subscription page and on the nlsena page and contribute and pay to keep news free because without you we cannot survive because we don't take any ads as you know after that long plug uh manisha can you please give us the many parallel stories playing out in this whole arnab case there are many cases that have been filed what is the case he's been arrested for and of course after that the the line that was people were standing in to condemn the uh, his arrest uh, from our cabinet <laughs> yeah so uh, this current case i'll speak of a current case that he's been arrested for arnab goswami this pertains to an interior designer called anvay nayak he and his mother kumud nayak uh, were found dead in ali bag in 2018 the police back then came to the conclusion that anvay strangulated his mother and then he hung himself and this was because of debt issues that he was facing now he's left at that time he'd left a suicide note where he said that uh, he's you know s- uh, suffering severe debt issues and he's taken this extreme step because of non payment of dues by three companies one of which is republic tv the other one was uh, this company owned by this guy called feroz shake feroz shake i think it was icast x or something like that and another guy called nitish sardar so these were his allegations i think arnab owed arnab's company republic tv owed him about 83 lakh for interior designing that they done for the new office uh, police investigated it back then and i think in 2019 somewhere in the beginning of 2019 they closed the case and said it found no proof this case was then reopened this year after uh, arnab goswami had gone on his whole palghar tirade against the maharashtra government so uh, all three people the two other people also charged in this case have been arrested arnab has also been arrested and he's been sent to judicial custody uh, i think he's there's going to be his bail hearing today so this is pertaining to uh, the particular case for which he's been arrested and it has got nothing to do with the trp scam or uh the other communal charges against him that the mumbai police are also filed an fir for uh, in palghar but but you did mention that this case was closed under fadnavis right it was closed under a bjp yes, government yes so under fadnavis uh, 
citing that there is no proof. There was a closure report. Now they have reopened that case. So that is what happened. After that, uh, everyone from Amit Shah to Mr. Nadda to Smriti Rani and to many other cabinet ministers who you would not know the names of, uh, like even I didn't. You know them by face. So many. In fact, this is probably the first case when after a journalist arrest, only politicians have come out unequivocally in his yes. support. Javadekar, everyone, the whole cabinet has come. So there are many things happening here. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Is this the... Is this like because of this Smriti had to answer a lot of questions that people put on Twitter that, you know, hello, you know, X happened, Y happened, you know, so um, there was that. So it's deeply divided the media fraternity also while NBSA, Editors Guild and all have issued unconditional support. There's the Maharashtra press body, which has said that this case has nothing to do with press freedom. It's an abetment to suicide case. It's a you know criminal case and journalists aren't above holding to account for criminal activities. For example, when Tejpal got arrested, it wasn't a freedom of speech issue. It was because he was accused of a crime. Now, um, I'd like to know the panel's views because this is not a simple yes or no, good or bad kind of scene. It's a little more complicated, at least in my view. Um, you guys can let me know what you think. But... Yeah. The the one thing also is there was a 12-minute video of when the police went to arrest him. Yeah. Uh, the police uh, waited outside his house for about an hour. Then they went inside and if you've seen the video, he sat down, he wasn't moving. He says, I won't go, call my doctor, I'm not feeling well. My arm is then his wife and child were also there. His son is at 19 or 20 years old. And uh, the wife was given a paper to sign, which I think she tore up or she was flinging the paper and she was getting yeah. away of the lady police. And he keeps uh, claiming that you've assaulted me, you've assaulted me, but I have not seen assault in the video. Uh, I see he police officers holding him by hand yeah, and trying to make him get up. But that's- There were some lacerations on his arm, which he showed, but uh, I got... A more severe injury than that when Manisha kicked me while shooting um, nuisance puns. When I was, you were supposed to kick me, but I was doing a practice handstand. And before I had even done my practice, you kicked me and I landed and I was bruised on my hip. But I didn't flash it outside and see how battered I am. An arm injury he's had for a while. He comes on debates with the bandaged arm. So, but anyway, the point is that before I would like the panel to explore this in as honest and nuanced a way as possible, because I know there's not one thing. I just want to play this one clip uh, of Arnab while he was conducting a debate on uh, an issue like he does often. Here's what it sounds like. I don't care. I don't care. I don't give a damn for the due process of law. And I know many of you think I should not say this. They will say, oh, again, Arnab has broken, quote unquote, journalistic ethics. I don't give a damn for those journalistic ethics then. Here he's talking about some rapists that were gunned down. I don't give a damn about the due process of law. Who, uh, due process of law can go to hell. Uh, and that's not the only time. This one, I can play 20 clips like this. No, Now, in this context, in this backdrop, uh, Mehraj, why don't you go first? What are the various aspects you think it kind of unveils, kind of reveals about governance, law and order, journalism, or lack of it? I mean, even if he doesn't give a damn about the rule of law, we should. I mean, that's what makes a, a society civilized, right? If you don't care about the land and order, and the whole point of freedom of speech is you uphold it even for people who are who who may I mean in your opinion might not even deserve it. But that said, this is not even a freedom of speech issue to begin with. Unlike what has been made out to be, this is a criminal case. He's been arrested for a criminal case. Whether that case is genuine or not, that's a different matter. If it's a genuine or not, that the court will decide. And I mean, 
I am not one to trust the police and I'm not one to trust the journalists either. So there's a bit of a quandary here because the police, the way they behave in this country, the way they're used as political pawns, and even on their own, the atrocious behavior they have shown all over the country. So, I mean, I would be very reluctant to just say, okay, they're they're right in this case, the case is genuine or whatever. But that aside, how the case is, whether it's right or not, this is not a freedom of speech issue. He has not, not been held up for his journalistic work, however that is. He has been taken in for a criminal, like Manisha also pointed out, like was the case with uh, Tejpal, for example. So if you are saying that police shouldn't touch Arnab Goswami because he's a journalist, no matter what the what crime he committed, what exactly are you saying? That freedom of speech covers crime also? But Clearly not. But I mean, we all know that how policing or putting you in your place works is not by getting you on what they want to get you on. It is by finding a case, you know, like we said, if they want to win, they can have you in for having more than five liters of whiskey in your house. That's precisely what I started with, right? I mean, you can't trust the police. Nobody in their right mind would trust the police. But did you so, feel any is... pressure, Miraj, that I know, I know I don't because I'm pretty clear on where I stand on this, but I know many journalists purely because of where are the freedom of speech upholders now felt the need to tweet very long explainers why they stand up for Arnab or not. Did you feel any such pressure or you don't really give a rat's ass? Neraj doesn't feel the pressure to tweet as such. (laughs) (laughs) That's a blessing. That's why he remains the most sane out of all of us. He's a boy. Manisha? So I have a lot of things to say on it. Can I... Can I have your permission of some feel, time? Feel free. And after that, Arfa, you can make a list of what you want to say because I know it's going to be a long one. It's a very, uh, as everything that involves Arnab Goswami, it's a very complicated issue. And I think there's, there's really something that all of us have to really think about. One is what Mehrad said. I'm a little wary of taking that line because this is the same thing that right wing can say when it comes to NDTV. They're not being jailed for their uh, journalism. It's a banking fraud case, you know. There was these transactions that are murky. So, you know, it's fine to send the ED, CBI, and everyone up to Pranaroy because it is usually at the surface of it, never an FOE issue, right? It's always um, some transactions in the bank, some property, you know, some utterances. I I mean, it's to me, it's very clear that even if there is a case here, Mumbai police has purely opened it up because of what he at the government's instructions because of how he went after Palghar and it happened immediately after that. And that's the sad part, right? That even if this case needed to be investigated, suppose Arnab was sucking up to Shiv Sena and suppose he was, you know, all pally with the Maharashtra government, even if this case deserved an investigation, he would have never gotten it. And that's really sad about the police being completely a political tool. And I have no doubt here that the Maharashtra police is a political tool. Secondly, when it comes to civil liberties, Arnab Goswami has played an exemplary role in lowering the bar. And this is not just a about political issues, but, you know, starting from Talwars to Sarabjit Singh, Shashi Tharu, JNU students, Shaheen Bagh protesters, Sudha Bhadra, Riya. He has time and again, through his debates, rallied for them to be locked up. He's asked for them to be jailed and his assertions are backed with zero investigative journalism. It's not like when journalists reported on the Manu Sharma case, found solid evidence and said, reopen it and let justice prevail. It's never like that in his case. It's just you know, lock them up because they said this and why are they roaming free? So he's harangued journalists. He's harangued people in their own community. He's gone after NDTV. He's never had a nice thing to say about any journalist, you know, uh, print, Indian Express, sabke mein, sabko hai. he's, uh, you know, for scores of cases against journalists in all over states who've been, you know, slapped with sedition. Recently, the Malayalam journalist Siddiqui Kapan, he's never stood up for anyone. So I think this expectation 
for objective unequal vocal condemnation for someone who's made a career out of motivated hounding of people it's a bit much so i i for one i'm not i'm not going to say ki chalo sab unequal vocally condemn karo because he has really victimized a lot of people even so i think uh, most journalists and today's i read today's newspapers most of the editorials put out a really balanced view on it and i i agree most with the indian express's editorial where they said that you know he is not he's a political agent arnab so when you compare him you can't compare him to say a supriya sharma who was slapped with an fir in uttar pradesh for reporting or you can't compare him to even prateek our own reporter who's been harassed by uh, you know the, the pune police and uh, by sakal times that is owned by the pawars he's being harassed for them because he reported he did a journalistic story arnab is being harassed because he's a political player so it's a proxy war between arnab and mumbai police mumbai police is the tool for shiv sena arnab is the tool for bjp so i would not even bring in you know issues of you know what he reported on but i think the, i i think the simple thing to do here is i think all of us should be asking mumbai police what new evidence do you have what is it that suddenly changed in this case that from a closure report now you were arrested all three of them and you know there better be some real reason for them to have done this and they could have actually also summoned him they didn't need to do this dramatic thing of going to his house and picking him up that was obviously done to show him his place but um, finally i'd say that in terms of uh, statements being issued i would not simply say that oh you must not penalize journalists for doing journalism in this case because there's no journalism to begin with there was never any journalism that arnab did in the ssr case he's been you know he's been slandering everyone from bollywood people to police to uh, you know thakrez and you know calling his son baby penguin and stuff like that insinuating he was at a party and that he had something to do with murder quote and quote that's just and i was a pakistani agent on one of his shows because of a tweet i put yeah. he said he put my tweet there and uh, he and some of my former colleagues were sitting there and saying this is the pakistani narrative that these pakistani agents are putting here <laughs> but i would say that even in maharashtra police and maharashtra government have good grounds here to take arnab to court for slander take him court for slander don't use your state police to criminalize him put him in jail for something you know completely dusra case fight this head on what you're fighting is essentially slander right misinformation so fight it head on saying that this was slander that you can't be calling maharashtra police corrupt or you can't say that we are part of a murder you can't say that you know aditya thakre is part of a murder take him to court file a civil suit arfa i think uh, whatever manisha has said i don't think anybody can add to it I totally 100% agree with her point of view uh, something more i want to say is that if people are calling it political vendetta and if we are to believe it is one so he is a politician what he is doing is politics it's not journalism so maybe i would stand up for arnab goswami as much as i would stand up for a politician i do not i find it in, an insult to be in the same line the same breath his and my name should be taken that we both are journalists if what arnab goswami does is journalism i will leave i quit journalism today if this is what journalism is so first of all i do not feel i feel zero pressure as you asked uh, mehraj zero pressure to stand up for say the principles of free speech for free media for democracy but i as as manisha said i would also maybe would like the government or any affected party not just the government any affected party be it the the intellectuals who were hounded and demonized be it the jamaatis or the dalits or the missionaries everybody and anybody who has been a victim of his journalism to stand up and file case and find their recourse in the court in the institution of the court so again i wouldn't really 
like they were silent. The government was silent for the last 11 months that they have been in power. So all of a sudden, what was new that they received? And even if, as Manisha said, even if there is merit in the case, in this case, it is suspicious then. So I would say when this man is, you know, spreading hatred, communal disharmony, displeasure, he is a threat to nation. So he should be dragged to court. Cases should be filed against him for his, uh, you know, uh, hatred, for propaganda, and for... an outright fake news. I mean, not even. I mean, forget spin. Spin to hota hai na. Aap ek fact ko leke spin karo. Aap fact hi apne pehle dete ho. So then... Apne pehle dete. Or dusre ek sabse khas baat for inciting mob violence on vulnerable people of India. This right. is not just a crime, but it is a crime against humanity that this man is committing. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't really call it the, in this case, it's, I think would be, usko saste mein hoga if ye abatment to suicide wale case mein jana chahiye. Because I really want a stop to what this man does. How this will be done? Yesterday I had a debate with Siddharth. Siddharth was again taking a pro or uh, you know, like, hum apne ke hai type stand. I was like, no, I find it insulting. So, Arfa, let, let me see. You said, Uff, tumhare usool, tumhare adash. Kya diya hai tumhare usool, tumhare adash. Ek beat, ek quarter, do, do, three, or a uniform. Dekho, mere paas kya hai? Mere paas wire hai. Mere paas section 8 company hai. Sorry, Sid, if you listen to this. Sorry for making you Shashi Kapoor while Arfa remains away that much. <laughs> but, but one thing I, I totally agreed with him on was that we do not want this fight of hate, fake news, of hatred to be fought by Maharashtra government or any government. So we not, we cannot leave it to politicians and their liking and disliking that they will save They are not, that is not their yeah. agenda. So I think... This is this is one point that I totally agree with him on this. And he also said that you can actually jail one Arab Goswami. What will you do to, say, uh, Sudhir Chaudhary? Uh, what would you do to, what is the name of the other guy? <laughs> Sardana and also, you know, other people. So what, what I would do uh, to those people. So, so you cannot really, so this whole idea has to be fought head on, as Manisha said. But I, I feel very strongly that I feel zero pressure to to do this, okay, whatever, taking this moral high ground, saying, oh, we liberal, we will liberal, I want to tell this to Siddharth Vadirajan and all liberals out there on Twitter, just a couple of quick points I'd like to make. Yes, please. I mean, this is the tragedy of this whole matter. See, Arnav for, I think, more than a decade now, Sardana, the rest of them, they have been inciting violence. They have been demonizing Muslims and others, dissidents, political dissidents. But like Manisha was saying, the Maharashtra government would take them to court for slandering them, right? For the ordinary Muslim, for the ordinary Dalit, ordinary political dissident who they have demonized, who they have mm. even incited violence they against. The they don't have the power. The in a civilized country, in a civilized society, the state is supposed to stand up for them and take these guys on on their behalf that is not that's not going to happen in this country whether it's Shivsen or whoever it is so we are at a pass here right and then if there is a person like say Sudhir or others who are not like Arnab who haven't gone after Shivsen or somebody else who is going to take them on and in 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 their instance Sudhir all all these people if the state is not going to take them on the other option was for the press to have a, some self-regulatory mechanism to kind of take this on. And that's also not the case in this country, right? 
at the most the our uh, self regulatory bodies at the most like will put out a statement if that and the another another thing which i think i have said this before also is i mean i respectfully disagree with arfa that this is not journalism it is journalism in the broader sense of the term if you look at history journalism has been used for precisely these ends to incite hate to incite bigotry look at germany look at rwanda they were all journalists that's they did this and these are also journalists they are doing this so this is kind of a no true scotsman fallacy okay because they are not doing this so they are not true journalists they are and this has been the purpose of a lot of journalism for a lot of time for a long time so um hey i think we need to change that i i agree uh, that you know this whole thing of how journalism is used for forever and that's very true but other than the obvious things that i think many of you have said um one thing that really uh, stood out for me is you know one is of course that state goes after these guys when they went to arrest him and i don't know if anyone noticed this and you know we live in an age where political is personal personal is political so this may seem like a personal comment on him but i think it it tells you a lot about the guy you know when the police came in at least in my view i think the first instinct of every human being is to protect their children yeah i firmly believe that i think that's the purpose of our existence only to protect our children when i saw him putting his child in harm's way i i didn't have much respect for him ever i think he's a vile horrible disgusting man i was like dude how low do you have to be to do that i mean i think any decent person's response would have been beta you go in a wife you go in let me handle this they would have said don't do this isko pakdo usko now he's fucking got he's hurting shama shama he's got fire against his wife and his son yeah his son is what 1920 has his whole life to lead you're dragging him into your shit i mean i think any decent person would have told his family go in i will handle this not are doctor bulao pat pakdo beta and his son is popping in and and this is when i think that you know pratik had one day was watching republic and he texted me ye dange karayega you know that palghar thing उनसे is beyond redemption so that struck me like wow i was like my god that's his son there and that was not his first instinct and like manisha said what he has done in you know demonizing umar khalid and the kind of names he's called them and mehrad said they can't fight back the state can't fight back and on this i'm actually you know on the fence like is he a journalist is he not a journalist like whether he is or not i think the pressure to condemn action should on him should not be on journalists it should be on dolly bindra krk all the other reality show stars that you have to stand up for your own so the pressure has to be on them that is the one reality show star has been arrested what are the other reality show stars doing so i reject that pressure on journalists and uh, the other thing that i find very amusing and i think this is what kind of separates the hindu right i won't say conservatives because there's several reasonable members of the conservative movement also with with the lutians is that you know uh, this one uh, open india carried a piece you know those who mocked arnab have been slapped by a case by the same government mm. yes we have and we will fight it 
and we don't want your arnab support in fact the day of india or arnab puts out a show supporting us i will say what have we done bhai hi humne kya kar diya seriously i felt like saying boom we were counting on your support why do you want our support we don't give a shit about your support because you don't stand for anything so i find it amusing that anyone would think at least people like news laundry and those who work here give a rat's ass whether op india supports us or whether arnab doesn't we will still mock him tomorrow if there's another police case by uddhav thakre's government on us we will still mock arnab and we'll fight uddhav thakre's government we don't have to bloody pander to one or the other and finally i think the best thing is that because of the lineup of all the cabinet ministers to condemn this they have set a precedent ab bachu jab bhi hoga hum aap se puchhenge and i just want to say one last thing that even if we are to believe that this is injustice and is it is unfair to do all of this to arnab i think he is one of the nation builders of this nation of 2020 ye 2020 ke bharat ka rashtra nirmataon mein se ek hai there there were nation builders like nehru like gandhi like azad like ambedkar now 2020 ka india reflects and represents what arnab goswami is so if if there is anybody to blame what happened to arnab goswami it is arnab goswami himself he has created and built this nation where police can actually barge into your house do whatever with your family with your children this was happening to all other people for the last 6 years i am still not saying that i am feeling the sadistic pleasure i shouldn't as a human because i feel that i have to show maybe better as usool ki baat agar aa jati hai but somewhere maybe somewhere i am grinning somewhere i have to admit this that i'm thinking that this is karma for him okay now i want to discuss this entire you know debate that has you know come up in um, europe uh, what happened we discussed last week the beheading of a school teacher in france and manish had given a background of he had shown these cartoons and you know in the whole i don't know it was a class on free speech or whatever it was and he was beheaded that cartoon i think was projected on the building to kind of uphold the values of free speech and uh, we've had a discussion on that last week and following that there was another attack in france where i think it it was a tunisian um, immigrant who came and killed three people in the notre dame church if i'm not wrong and then there was a shooting in austria where four people died and i just like the panel's view on this but i have one email about this because it's exactly about this issue and after that if you could start with arfa and then just get the panel's view on this so this email says So this email from Shruti it says I hope all of you are well I love listening to you guys I had some views regarding the discussion on France and the freedom of expression which explains my mail I study sociology in LSR and we have a paper called sociology of religion after studying the paper for about 4 months one thing that we've learned is that every religion goes through its own evolution I agree with Manisha when she says that the situation in France is complex and they have that they have failed to integrate the French Arabs into society however when one delves deeper into the reason of the problem we find that there is strong sense of ethnocentrism within the french i am personally sympathetic towards macron however even he is a product of his conditioning this got projected when he said that islam should adapt itself to french enlightenment perhaps this one an articulation problem or deep rooted ethnocentrism but this does not help his case islam has gone through the enlightenment of its own for instance the sufi interpretation of islam is one of many there are muslim poets like abu nawas who worshiped alcohol during the days of islam early age of islam it was only the 10th century when orthodoxy began to seep in i have a problem with the wordings macron used french as a civilization or culture not the only ones who went through revolution and reforms these ideas are embedded somewhere in the past of islam as well and if one has to bring constructive change then it is best to look at these versions of islam or the voices of dissent which islam accommodates 
during its time. I have mentioned this before and I will say it again. You are all the shimmer of light in bleak times. Love, Shruti. Thank you, Shruti, for that very well-articulated mail. And Arfa, you know what's been happening there. How do you react as someone who upholds free speech as a Muslim woman? Do you feel the same pressure that you feel on Arnab? <laughs> that, that you have to contend. You know, Abhinandan, it's such a complex issue. Trust me, if you ask me, I have no position to take. All I can say is that as I am not a very practicing Muslim, I do not really wear my religion on my sleeve. I find myself as a part of this social group called Muslims in India, which has more of a social cultural heritage. So I, even despite the fact that I am not someone who maybe is all the time guided by what my, the religious book says, I would say I am hurt when my prophet is insulted. I may not be hurt just by the caricature, by just a cartoon, or if it's like a harmless cartoon, just the very fact that iconography is not permissible in Islam. And that is why I would be hurt if, if prophet's uh, you know, cartoon or caricature is there. I would be hurt as I would be hurt if someone were to insult my mother, if someone to insult my grandmother or my father, I will feel bad. So I will feel terribly bad if there are nasty, horrible things said for my prophet. Prophet, I believe it was one of the, the he has been one of the greatest uh, world leaders, religious leaders. I would still not say the greatest because when I had put out a tweet, there were a lot of people saying that, no, just say the greatest. Again, this supremacy thing, like I would respect your prophet Abhinandan as much as I would prophet mine. Uh, for you, your prophet may be the greatest. For me, my prophet is the greatest. So I would say one of the greatest. But I truly, like there is one thing where I have no confusion is that only prophets, Prophet Muhammad Wasallam's teachings teach me to not adopt to violence, to respect people, their disagreements and Freedom of expression, I don't know whether I can really relate to the French Enlightenment, as Macron said. I think this also comes from a very supremacist place, that, you know, his way is the only way and other religions and other whatever. Uh, I really do, want to, do not want to comment on this, but I think this is completely unnecessary, especially at a time when, when we are going through so much, when the humanity is going through so much. I cannot strictly go... What is unnecessary? Uh, you're talking about Macron's speech or... I would say the part of his speech is very provocative. And if I were to make that speech, I would say a large part of it I agree with, but some part of it I think I completely do not agree with. But what I'm saying, so do I feel the pressure to to make myself clear? There are at least three people on, on uh, Twitter who are not very, I would say, not very close friends, but they are friends' friends. They they said that I am in denial of, of, of the Islamists and their actions in India. When I tried to say, I said, I put out an unconditional condemnation of what happened in France. Even Prophet would not have approved of it. But second, I said, I refuse to take this pressure from the people who do not condemn even the cow-related killings, the propaganda of love jihad, voting a person who was charged with terrorism to Indian parliament. I, the last person I would take it from is those people. So they said, oh, this is what about tree and I'm in denial and things like that. So this is never going to be enough. So the problem is that the even so-called the Hindu liberals, they think that the accountability of Indian Muslims is actually towards Indian Hindus, not to, towards their own conscience, towards their themselves. So this huge pressure I felt like it was kind of thrown on me, which I refused to take that at least I'm not going to take it from you. Right. So I shall not put you under any more pressure. <laughs> I, know, I know you have to go. So Arfa, do please carry on. 
and thank you for your time and we look forward to more of your reports from bihar and if i were you i'd get tested dude <laughs> i'm fine now it's been a week over a week yeah and before you go a recommendation please so i enjoyed being on this 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 program a lot thank you for your to your audience and i think the series which i thoroughly enjoyed i'm not so much of a like a like a very tv person but a switchable boy i watched this film and for very frivolous reasons i liked it <laughs> i i liked it i thought it was उटस्टैंडिंग Our direction is amazing. So thanks, Arfa. Uh, have a good weekend. Have a good week, and uh, good luck with the reporting here. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye. Now, before I move on to our in-house panel, there's another mail from Sandeep Khatikar on the similar issue. So I'll just read that. Sandeep says this mail is regarding the Hafsa's discussion on French beheading. It was unsettling to hear some of the opinions expressed. Anand's argument of disapproving of the cartoons, attributing them to just an attempt to prove a point because they challenge the beliefs of millions of people, was rather tame. Also, found Jayashree's contention of ascribing the French government's response to Islamophobia more than anything else simplistic. The incident did stem out of an intolerance from extremism in the religion, and it's only right that it's called out that way. Being a free speech absolutist, I find it deeply problematic that journalists and news professionals don't subscribe to the idea. It's interesting how journalists tread that thin line between personal faith and bias with matters of religion. Probably something you won't find on, let's say, a story on competitive sport. I couldn't but overlook the offence Anand took at Abhinandan's Hindu nut jibe. Hafta's no holds barred banter format is what makes it worthwhile, and I believe everyone should be allowed to express their opinion, how offensive one may sound. Being a person of faith myself, I find it funny how fragile some of our beliefs are. That a cartoon here or an internet meme there makes us insecure. Sums up. religion and the fallacy of religion journalists should strive to be open of open and free of notions around borders nationalism and religion but that's too much to ask for thanks and keep up the good work sandeep so last week we had kind of discussed this and uh, anand isn't here but he was of the view that these kind of cartoons are just made to provoke and uh, he doesn't think one should make them so that is what sandeep was talking about so anyway so since i heard the austrian i think that was the president speech where he worded it a lot more carefully than macron worded his where he kind of made the distinction in religion being beyond this specific and uh, there being no pressure on people who follow that to either you know feel insecure or pressured i mean it was very it was it was a better worded kind of speech it was on the bbc podcast but on this uh, what is your view you think Macron's response was too much. It is xenophobic or Islamophobic, and that and the uh, extremism uh, denial ex- exist in the same kind of context. Meraj, well, I said I think the fact before last also that the reaction to it, the whole incident was Islamophobia. I mean, there's no doubt about it. If you if you uh, look at the if you look at what Macron has been saying, if you look at how they how they projected like the whole thing i mean it was the see the french principle they claim is that they won't interfere in uh, matters of religion 
I mean, it's one thing for a magazine, for a journalistic organization to publish cartoons, however bad you may think they are or good they are. It's another thing for a government to project those onto a government building. And these, I, I mean, I, I think I agree with Anand's larger point. I don't know about the specifics, but the larger point that these cartoons, they aren't so innocent. I mean, when you are saying, say, for example, you are mocking the prophet, but the cartoons you draw, what you get from seeing those cartoons is this trope of the dirty Arab extremist. That is not much different from similar cartoons have been used in the past, for example, against Jews, right? So you'll draw a Jewish money lender and you will project him in this, in this very caricaturish, in this very tropish, tropish kind of a thing. Same thing here. And this whole idea that the French really stand for freedom of expression, I mean, it's bogus. Just look at the, look what's happening there. Insulting the French flag is an offense. Anti-Semitism is banned as it should be in France, but the definition is so wide that even if you criticize human rights violations in Israel, if you are a supporter of BDS, bicardicent investment sanctions campaign against Israel, you can go to jail. So about the Macron thing, he is no champion of freedom of expression. He is facing an election and he wants to sort of appeal to the right wing in France, which has been rising like steadily over the last few years. If you would allow me, I think uh, when this whole, that uh, Corona or Jihad started in India and Jamaat Islami, uh, Tablighi mm -hmm. Jamaat was Corona aligned and everything. Corona yeah. bomb. Corona yeah, so uh, if you remember, I wrote an article. So it was in the Indian context, particularly. And I was saying, just let me read this line, that how Islamophobia basically quote unquote, is cast as a bogeyman for many an incompetent journalist and a malevolent politician to make career whipping up hysteria over. I think the exact same thing applies in France right now. Uh, if you remember a couple of years ago, I remember, so the, I think it was at the Sopon University, uh, the students union president is a Muslim girl and she came, gave an interview, I think on TV or wherever, wearing a scarf, the hijab. There was such a hue and cry over that because she wore a scarf in an interview. So this idea that they're champions of freedom of speech and that this is only, only about freedom of speech and it's not nothing to do with the demonization of Muslims. It's nothing to do with Islamophobia. I think it's disingenuous. Right now, when uh, this thing happened, the attack in Nice happened, around the same time, there was an attack on Lyon. A priest was killed. Immediately, there were headlines, oh, this is a terrorist attack, this is a terrorist attack. It turned out that he was killed by another priest. Terrorism disappeared from headlines. There was an attack in Avignon by a right-wing uh, white supremacist uh, against an Arab. As long as the identity of the attacker was not known, it was terrorism. As soon as the identity became clear, terrorism is gone from the headlines. A couple of days ago, France, French troops bombed Mali, killed 50 people. They are claiming, uh, there's no other source, only the French are claiming that they killed Islamist jihad, jihadists. In Mali, Mali used to be their colony. They're back there, bombing them but right now. And it's not even a headline. But there are 5,000 French troops uh, in conflict in Africa. I, I get that. But the one distinction, and I think uh, this is the problem with the whole all sideism, which also, you know, I disagree with you when you put Yogi, all these in the same bucket. What happened with the Corona bomb jihad was clear Islamophobia in the context of there being nothing that people were responding to. They were just responding to a gathering, an opportunity to attack Muslim. 
here there has been a beheading and i think this is the danger of when it seems that one is glossing over an issue saying that this is the same as this a person has been beheaded for showing a cartoon and i don't think the response can be taken stripped of that context i think what has happened like even india when that in charlie abdo happened if a sitting mla at that time i think something kazri was his name or kadri i forget he was from the sp he or gave 40 lakhs for the beheading of someone else now when that happens now there was no beheading at that time so it did not become a big deal you know it was a small uh, this thing a few channels must have gone at it but let's say a beheading had happened then the response has to take the beheading into context which i think is very different in what happened in france and in austria there has been a real life con- consequence of a young person and not for the first time for the same magazine for similar cartoons lives are lost and they are lost in the name of the prophet indeed that is that's what i'm saying so this is a crime what motivated it partly politics partly religious thought so it is a crime indeed so you have to respond to it and this is a horrible crime but when you are using that response to incite bigotry to demonize like a community of 1.2 billion people that's completely different if that was the case that you are just responding to this i mean the other attacks would at least have sort of evoked a similar response but they haven't why because this for this reason they're using it nakedly nakedly for his political end to its political ends hmm. and that doesn't mean that what has happened is not barbaric and another thing is this whole idea of terrorism i mean suddenly for some reason it has become to be associated exclusively with muslims i mean it's not just in france all over the world although i want to discuss this whole terrorism i was thinking about this the other day because the same thing was brought up in a debate on television but i just want to come back on the terrorism issue uh, miraj but manisha you want to weigh in on this i know you had you know been very yeah. articulate last week but the developments that happened since so i want to just on the letter where you know she's compared french france's enlightenment to other countries it's really not the same and i think that's where a lot of people is just failing to grasp charlie hebdo or the pushback of the ordinary french uh, towards this incident the french revolution was bloody the overthrow the decristianization of france during the revolution was it was they you know 99 priests about 100 priests were killed one of them was an 84 year old priests were exiled church property was you know um, nationalized so you had this country where the overthrow of religion was brutal violent to establish a secular state enter colonization and okay i'll come to the colonization a bit later but what i'm saying is that the distaste for religion among french people starts from there and it's very it has a deep cultural sort of resonance because of the revolution so it's really not the same as critique of a religion or whatever they genuinely hate religion and then you have colonization where you know france went around colonizing northern african countries you invited these guys arab immigrants to your country because you wanted them to work for you you did not assimilate them and they do not share the same distaste for religion as you do right so there's a fundamental clash of civilizations they are believers they haven't had the sort of violent overthrow of religion that you did and now you have so you know they don't share the same values but you're sharing the same country so i think again it's very tricky and i really don't have an answer to what the solution is but i think when it comes to i disagree with mehraj where he says that projecting this on a government building is islamophobic because look discussing the aesthetics of a cartoon in this case is really the same as sending you know meat samples to a forensic laboratory when an akhlaq is lynched eating beef is deeply offensive to a lot of hindus but if you're going to lynch 
I will organize a beef festival. And this is pretty much what France is doing, that if you're going to behead, I will celebrate those cartoons. So I think the fundamental problem is that, of course, offense, approach to religion, these things, you know, re- need a lot of conversations and communities to come together. And people, I would say even fundamentalists, in my dictionary, fundamentalists are not terrorists. They're just people who believe in the fundamentals of faith and they can be extremely strict in how they believe in it. And say someone, a complete atheist or someone who dislikes religion, they all have to come together and talk about these things because it's just simply something that you can't come to a conclusion to. But we've established as a society, irrespective of religious beliefs, that killing is bad. So if you're going to behead, if you're going to lynch, I personally have no... I don't want to listen to your argument on how upset you are about a cartoon or someone eating beef or carrying beef. A couple of things I'll disagree with. One is that this idea that France is like an irreligious country. They don't have religion. They believe fervently in secularism. Secularism is a state, sort of a state religion there. France still remains a Christian country. I mean, you see all the surveys, you see all the polls. They are a Christian country. The, the, uh, the, this, what happened during the revolution, it kind of what it turned France into and that too after like World War Two is into this militant secularism where the French state sort of became the high priest, its bureaucrats became high priests of this religion of secularism. Until then, during World War Two, during Vichy France, anti-Semitism was most rife in France after Germany. I mean, so many people were killed and that was partly motivated by religious thought. I'm not saying religion. I want to make the distinction clear. Clear. Religious thought, anti-Semitism until 60s, 70s. It was really, really horrible. Now what has happened is because of a lot of sort of a progressive movements, because of a lot of uh, movements against racism and everything, anti-Semitism, it still exists, but it's not to the same extent. So they have found a new new villain in Muslims. So Muslims are basically the new Jews of France, of Europe, in fact. I won't deny the racism that exists in French society. I mean, you have Marie Le Pen, you have a front-running party that thrives on that. That is, right. I mean, that's not something that I would deny. Now, coming to the terrorism bit, you know, this is something that I'm always grappling with. What is terrorism? Because, I mean, I always associate terrorism with an organization. Like, Nikku can't fill out terrorism. I mean, I have to belong to a larger organization for it to be terrorism, because I think terrorism is a very large press release of a destructive, violent press release of a destructive or radical thought. Now, whether it is a Muslim or a Christian or a Hindu, I mean, I, I would neither call what Dara Singh did terrorism to Graham Staines. I think that was a barbaric act. Neither would I call what happened in France terrorism. But then, you know, the question that I thought of was, so what is an organization? Is two people in organization? Is ten people in organization? Do you have to be registered? Because, you know, this whole terrorism thing, I, I just can't get my head around this debate. What is terrorism? What is not? Because for me, a person going and carrying out a killing of because of what he believes in, I wouldn't call it terrorism. For me, I always associate it with an organization. I, I don't know. What, what, what is your thought? That, How that is you- the... Sorry, that's the con here, right? So the definition of terrorism, the agreed upon political definition, even if you go to a dictionary, the definition of terrorism is use of violence to achieve political ends, to achieve political ends. So by definition, terrorism is political. Hmm. But because I mean, like everybody, I, I don't know if I, I, I think I shared that uh, article on our group the other day about the yes, speech yes. Robert Fisk gave back in 2010 about the use of how journalists have come to use the words of power. So the generals, the politicians, they coin these words and we lap them up uncritically. Same thing to terrorism, because like the Americans, the British, the Europeans, they describe terrorism in these narrow, 
in this narrow way to associate it exclusively with Muslims, that has become the case. If you go by the original definition, all the wars that the Americans and the British and the French have fought in the last hundred years have been terrorism. In fact, by their definition, what happened in France, the killing of this teacher, for example, is not terrorism, but lynching of a Muslim for, by Hindutva people in India is terrorism. Why? Because that's part of a political project. The other isn't as... But the, as but and again, you know, the, that's where it becomes tricky. The political project, only the person who's carrying it out can say whether it's a part of a political project. Otherwise, everything else is speculation. It's like saying, what is your motive for making this cartoon? Is it to offend or is it to make a political statement? Precisely. There is no... Other than that one person, no one knows. Is there a political aim or is it just random that I'm pissed off and I'm going to do this? Indeed. In individual cases, no. But say, for example, Americans go and invade Iraq and bomb Iraq. Yeah. I mean, exactly. that's as clear as it is. The whole thing of the crimes against humanity, which, you know, many people think that so many, the government of the US has to be tried for that. I mean, if you can try, you know, Milosevic Thanavo, who was tried? The Yugoslavian. Ah. Yeah. So, I mean, if he can be tried for war against humanity, for crimes against humanity, so can, you know, Bush and Shenny and even Obama. Obama. But this organization affiliation bit is something that ISIS has changed, right? Because now you don't actually have to belong to an organization. You can simply say ISIS inspired and, you know, it's a terror act. For example, the Paris bombing that had happened, these kids were from Belgium and they, they were not Islamist or they were not even... They weren't even believers. Like one of them was a drug addict. He had, you know, massive run-in with the law. Completely, like that textbook, you know, alienated, disturbed generation mm-hmm. kid, who then just says, "I found faith and you know, I found purpose in Quran, and now I will kill non-believers or whatever." So it's just, even if he doesn't have any affiliation to an organization, he can claim for it, and that's something that ISIS really allowed for. He, anyone anywhere in the world can just, you know, claim a religion. That's the tricky thing. That's, that's also, that's also the, you know, that the buffer that uh, the political party here has the Hindu right. Because, you know, many of these Gorakshaks, they don't claim ownership of them. They're not from the VH, Bajrangdal or from the RSS or the BJP. They're just cow loving Hindus. So, you know, it is, I think, which is why I avoid using the word terrorism altogether because I really can't understand what should or should not be called terrorism. It is, it's too, comp- I mean, it's, it's too confusing and too ad hoc. What ISIS, ISIS was the textbook definition of terrorism because they used brutal violence for political ends. And that was clear. That connects to another aspect with this case, the French case. This, uh, the person who beheaded the teacher, mm-hmm. apparently, according to the French authorities, he was somehow connected or he had links or he was inspired by ISIS. Mm. Same is being said about this person in uh, Austria, Ian Hartag. So, so ISIS has... No, no, no. no. Now, here is the... Here is the kicker. decided to take responsibility for... Here is the kicker. Even if, if, say, for example, they had links with those people. Those people, the terrorists in Syria, the terrorists of ISIS and other jihadists in like all of Middle East, guess who, who armed them? Who built them up? Even now, France is arming some terrorists in Syria right now at this moment. On that, I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean that, that's a bit like Daoud prospering under the Thakres while every other Muslim was knocked out. Somehow Daoud's gang wasn't. I mean, that, yeah, that's politics and that's governance and that's power. That's, that's how it is. Yeah, Manisha, you were saying? No, I think you guys have covered all points on this. I mean, the classic debate on this is obviously Hamas versus Israeli army, right? Like who gets dubbed as a terror organization? But you know, I just want to add one thing that I think in this Charlie Hebdo case, it's too Indian context, I find it, yeah, this whole thing of, you know, people saying here that we must, there are lessons to learn or that, 
I don't think it has any relevance or resonance in India beyond it being, of course, a big global talking point because that's never been our form of secularism anyway. India has always been about not offending anyone, like practice your religion and respect all religions. I mean, that's the founding principles of our secularism. It's not it's never been he push the boundaries or offense or you know. No, India. I mean, the very fact that our oral tradition has you know is all about complying here with what you are told. No, but even as a modern nation after independence, I think we've most of us have kind of grown up with respecting each other's religion than rather than questioning each other's religion. Actually, yeah, that's true. This is, I mean, yeah, this is a broader problem, not just in this case, but this whole framework. This again goes to the same point I was talking about, what Fesk was talking about. So we sort of import these frameworks, these phrases, these, these, these ways of looking at things wholesale from others. Mm. In, in India's case, from Western Europe and from America. So we use the same, same frameworks to look at what's happening in this country. And most often we don't understand because those frameworks, for the most part, don't apply. I mean, in India, you can't use the same framework you use for, say, Uttar Pradesh in Kerala. I mean, it's so diverse, it's so different. Such as a framework, are you talking about like in the, in the context of? In the sense, for example, to understand secularism, for example, or to understand violence, say caste violence. What framework would you use to borrow from West to, to, to understand that? Because you can't, there isn't any. Then you try to use these racial, sort of the framework of racism from West and try to apply it in India. That doesn't work. But in some cases it doesn't, but certain human values work no matter where, like in the context of religion. I don't think religion is so unique in any context in the world where it is completely, you know, above and beyond how it exists somewhere else. Like even for me, the most unique of them all, which the entire, the, the entire birth of it is about peace. Look at what is happening in Myanmar and Sri Lanka. So I think while of course there's certain governance frameworks don't work, sure. But value frameworks work. So I disagree with you on that because I think democracy is a value. Are we saying it doesn't work in India? It, it must and it has to be made to work. It's not an Indian value. No, because that's... democracy. So, and human values such as if you don't like what I say, suck it up. That is a basic value about freedoms and liberties. And governance frameworks may not work, but value frameworks, I think, are universal. It doesn't matter where they come from. No, no, that's what I'm saying. So when I'm talking about frameworks, I'm not talking about values. For example, justice is a universal value. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about specific frameworks to understand specific concepts. For example, like Manisha was saying, French secularism is not the same as Indian secularism. So when you, for example, are trying to assess the reaction, for example, the Muslim reaction to secularism in France, the Muslim reaction to secularism in India, it won't be the same because the contexts are different. The frameworks are different. Shekhar Gupta wrote this article a few days ago about how Islam was in crisis and he made these five points. I mean, I'm ashamed to say it was so ignorant, I can't tell you how much. So he, he was talking about this idea of Muslims belonging to this grand, like whole community, the whole world community, the concept of Ummah, basically all Muslims are part of the same nation. And he was yeah. talking about how this idea of political Islam spread through Arab from here to here and why, and this is the clincher, why Indian Muslims haven't sort of Understood signed that. up to that, signed up to that idea. Hmm. The whole idea of political Islam originated in India, in the subcontinent. I mean, the Arabs, even the Muslim Brotherhood, picked it up from Madhudi. He was the originator. Hmm. Manisha, you were saying before? No, I just, just wanted to end on that. I think more than um, Islam versus French secularism, what the French state really needs to acknowledge is colonization. What they did as colonizers, 
as colonizers, how they plundered over these countries, how they brought in immigrants and made very little effort to integrate them. And then to now say, chalo, Frenchify yourself is a bit much. I mean, I think that is more important to me because often in communities that are marginalized, you know, if you don't have education, you don't have means to enter government jobs, you don't have means to representation. Religion then automatically becomes your, you know, your one sort of thing that you depend on. So I think it has to be more focused on assimilation than, than saying ki, you know, than, than make coming to religion. I think the change is inevitable of, of it becoming, you know, more respectful acknowledging everyone's you know space that they live in the values they live with i think that's an inevitable correction that will happen but it'll be very slow because as long as there is the memory of an injustice it is impossible to convince someone to let it go hmm. now one can question what is the cutoff date matlab is the cutoff date like in taxes you have to keep your taxes for 7 years after that the government can't question you there is no cut off date. Like there are still Hindus who are outraged at what Aurangzeb did. Now I can't identify with that. I'm like, dude, like fucking chill out. It's not relevant. On the other hand, I know Sikhs who say we will vote Congress. There are others who will say what happened in colonialism is still we have to get. So because history is replete with huge injustices, there has to be an acknowledgement of the injustice and there also has to be the ability to let it go. And that process is way too slow to observe. It's slower than glacial, but it is inevitable is what I believe. I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, that's the fundamental problem, right? Unless, as long as justice is absent, you will have these things. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll just read a few emails. Uh, So I have devised this balance, monkey balancing formula for those who say that I spent too much time reading mails, but many of you also want me to read mails to get subscribers views. So I'm bunching all these mails into this one 10 minute, 12 minute segment. And because our new fancy podcast player, you can skip to only the bits that you want to hear. You can skip the mailing bit because it is segmented based on what all we've discussed. So the mails bit begins now. This mail is from Manpreet. I've recently subscribed to NL. I've been following your work for eight months and I wish to congratulate you and the team. By profession, I work in the news industry as a media executive living in Delhi. A shout out to Madhu, Manisha, Atul, Raman and others. Basically everyone except me. A few queries. Does NL ever think of entering TV news genre? No, I don't because TV news is a unviable model in the digital age. Then I want to know the benefits of subscribing to News Laundry. Well, you support independent media and you also get a hangouts. In fact, we are having a session. I think it's on the 7th, if I'm not wrong. You can check our social media where it's only for subscribers. We're going to be having these every month. I will be in conversation with Gaurav Kapoor, the IPL presenter, talking about IPL cricket and his career. So, and many other such little events we're doing. And you also get access to the NL chat box where you can question the editorial team on what we've done right or wrong. And Atul and Tepuni 135 said that Tanish Tata Group should be ashamed that they withdrew the ad. But as a business house, what else could they do? Any sane business will not want to go up against any establishment or public sentiments. Even though I realize that in this particular case, the fight might be with a particular section of society. P.S. I love your interview with Deepak Chaurasia. Aap chronology samajji. Also big fan of your moustache. To quote Ravish Kumar from NDTV at the time when Abhinandan came back. Abhinandan Thank you, Manpreet. But... Um, Abhinandan, the fighter jet Abhinandan's moustache is a lot grander than mine. Then this email is from Rant Woman. It's very long, so I won't read the whole thing. But she needs to get this off her chest. She says, the fucking NRIs in the UK are the worst humans. After the justice for SSR, Nautanki and other centrist kind of species, 
got hot and bothered to collect money for a billboard this time to talk about hathras and approached me for advice as i'm a feminist author and blogger in the area for a long time when nris make a hobby out of activism and performative gestures social media campaigns and fail to educate themselves about power dynamics gender relations and make actual social change this is how they react the failure to learn about politics and pick a side is their worst feature they won't mention the words hathras or caste or india or put up that burning pyre of the victim so i asked what is the purpose she says we can't look like we are shaming india and we can't link this to hathras i asked again and proposed if you're really pumped up about doing something let's write to the parliament and westminster and ask the mps to put pressure on the indian government to take action or write to media houses to give international attention to hathras they rejected all this guess what they want to do rich nri people take photos with some hashtag and post on social media and none of the hashtags even mention anything regarding the incident they are so afraid of bjp bhagts questioning them they literally asked not to talk to ndtv or left leaning media so they don't get accused of doing politics what the hell kind of mindset is that these idiots think social justice is a hobby for ignorant rich indians bored at home due to second lockdown in the uk so why not collect money for a billboard like bhagts did for sushant i repeatedly said that the reason why you're doing this can't be if they can do this for sushant why can't we do it for rape victims you want immediate notice or even ordinary citizen spread awareness but mp thing is too political so basically you get what randoman says she says heart breaks into a million pieces just saw the news that the accused are now saying that the victim's family killed her as as an ordinary killing act but much as many news professionals tried to spin the hathras case as a family feud they could not succeed uh, that theory has crumbled as it should have and it is rather disgraceful that many journalists can try to peddle that theory anyone has anything to add to these two mails before i move on to the next two no go ahead then kabir says i've been a long time watcher and listener and i'm finally subscriber i'm learning enough to afford the basic subscription sorry earning enough not going to lie a large reason for me subscribing was my undying crush for mr sekri thank you kabir that aside in one of the previous nl haftas there was a mention of etrugul and that not being proof of turkish influence it was implied that it didn't count for much however i'll quote a really interesting caravan article titled the inheritance of loss progression the article says a turkish drama little etugul which traces the trials tribulations and conquests of the emperor that led to the foundation of the ottoman empire has become extremely popular among the youth even among the intellectuals in kashmir opinions are divided on the historic authenticity of the story which resonates with kashmir's despair and imbues hopes of assertions against the existing impotence some observers however are worried that such romanticism and symbolism may end up glamorizing violence in the name of religion whatever be the case a section of youth seeking liberation from an oppressive climate appears ready to toy with drastic adventurism unquote when i read this to a close kashmiri friend he said that this was absolutely spot on how true do you think this is what with you or your colleagues having some contact with larger sections of kashmiri media i believe there was a guardian article which said that microsoft research found bjp trolls are the ones also making garnap style twitter posts on ssr how true do you think that is on the ground and will bollywood grow some jones jones jo bhi kehte hain to make something that arouses the public kabir thanks kabir uh, manisha you have something to say about the twitter thing and the kashmir uh, issue i'm sure mehraj is best qualified to comment on on ertugul but apparently this show i mean this show is popular across india yaar it's not ki sirf kashmir mein log dekh rahe it's popular uh, i think after mirzapur ertugul is one of the most i've watched. never heard of this show my god so what happened in kashmir is i mean it, it's in turkish obviously but it was broadcast in pakistan with urdu dubbing Okay. Then, from Kashmiri started to watch it, and it became sort of popular within a small segment of local sort of youth who are 
on social media and stuff and all that because there was nothing else to do during the lockdown and the last year's communications blockade and all that but to say that it has like this kind of influences i mean i mean it's these are those kind of cultural critiques which you tend to like look at and you are like very sort of amazed by it and you write about it but it isn't i mean i remember correctly my parents used to tell me and people who were at that time that one of the reasons for a lot of people to take up to militancy were these two movies the battle of algiers and the line of the desert one is about obviously the french the algerian war against the french the line of the desert is about umar mukhtar who was a libyan freedom fighter against the uh, italians they called him with Gan- I mean, gandhi with the gun he used to be called right he was he was called gandhi with the gun umar mukhtar is a very good film on him as well yeah yeah so i mean these kind of cultural critics i don't put much store in them they're just i mean it's a passing fad people are watching it i mean they sort of it kind of i mean given the background of kashmir what's been happening in the last 30 40 years and this shows this small kind of a tribe of muslim tribe which goes on to conquer turkey and the rest of the uh, west asia and creates an empire so it kind of resonates but to say that it has like this kind of and this sort of kind of has this turkish influence in kashmir is a bit too much and even then ertugol is not really historical this thing apparently the producer and director said that they only have six pages of documentation of that whole period when this is set in and on the um, twitter posts on ssr case this whole justice for ssr case and ssrians and ssr warriors is very murky and this i can simply anecdotally i can tell you that every time we get a tweet from one of those ssrians it's usually an egghead it's a recent profile and it's all very targeted you know one after the other person would say the same sort of thing and i'm i'm sure you should read nidhi's piece on this actually we profiled three ssrians i mean they weren't bjp guys i'd say but they were bjp supporters like they had the same sort of things to say on say jnu shahin bagh but i'm i'm pretty sure there was a coordinated effort in this campaign which was beyond just aggrieved fra- fans right so um now this email is from aman hi guys continue your great work to keep journalism alive would like to hear mehraj's analysis and his views on change of land laws in the union territory of jnk would love to see interviews of intellectuals like arundhati sainath yogendra amartya jondres and anand on nl i wonder which anand is talking about is it ranganathan uh, <laughs> but <laughs> for that uh, that intellectual has been on several haftas check out some of the old haftas he's spoken a lot here Check out the hafta where he says he'll build uh, Babri Masjid brick by brick, and also where he says that um, <laughs> Ar- Arnab doesn't do journalism. He's a joke. Where he's found every night on a panel, but uh, on the land use uh, change, uh, Mehraj, he wanted your view. Yeah. So what happened is recently uh, on October twenty sixth, they brought a law called the Union Territory of Jammu and Kashmir Reorganisation Third and Fifth Order. It's called. It has a longer name, but that's the short name of it. so what they did, what this order did is it repealed 12 state laws and amended 20, uh, 14 others so uh, when last year when they abrogated the article 370 at the same time the parliament passed a legislation called the jammu and kashmir reorganization act and it allowed the indian government to make changes to this particular law within a year that window closes on october 30 closed on october 31st so after that deadline they couldn't change that law so by changing this law before october 30 they repealed these laws and they amended these laws and in a nutshell what it does is so after 1947 when the dogra autocratic rule ended and sheikh abdullah became prime minister so kashmir they brought in these 
sweeping land reforms. It's called the land to the tiller reform. So all these peasants who had been working on these, uh, on the lands of these feudal lords, they were given that land. And those reforms have been so, so successful. I mean, I mean, you remember that one of the usual idiots on Republic of Times now was uh, once complaining that Kashmiris still have rosy cheeks, even though they have been without food and under lockdown for a lot of <laughs> So this is one of the reasons. I mean, despite all the lockdowns and all, all kinds of... They won't starve. Yeah, they won't starve. So this is one of the reasons. What this law, what these land sort of laws practically do is it kind of rolls back all those reforms of the last 70 years. And there were other laws made in 1976, which put a ceiling on how much land you could own. So the idea was that it shouldn't become like it was earlier. So one person used to have like thousands of canals of land. It shouldn't become like that. They have rolled back these lands. And more uh, problematic is what they have done is the government has government and the army has virtually unlimited powers to acquire land wherever they want however they want. And you can't in this, they have created this industrial development corporation and it has the mandate to acquire land for industry, whatever that means, that's vaguely defined. You can acquire land anywhere for any purpose and you can't even challenge it in court. So it's that so is rather strange. And mm-hmm. related to this, now this is the problem. This is what we were talking about earlier, the India, uh, the media works and everything. The Hindu, their political editor, Nistula Hibber, I think her name is, she interviewed the Lieutenant Governor of JNK the other day. And she asked a question about this, that people have been complaining that these land laws, basically what it does is it puts all of Kashmiri land on sale for outsiders. He said, no, 90% of the agriculture, 90% of the land is agricultural. So that won't happen because it's outside of the embed. Either the reporter clearly didn't what was on in the laws or I mean, deliberately, she didn't ask the follow-up question because the lieutenant governor was lying through his teeth to her. And she didn't ask how that is possible because what they have also done is they have made it almost like just a signature or two away from turning agricultural land into... Basically, you can do a vadra there. You can do whatever you want. And that is not the only thing. Now what they have done is there was this Roshni scheme Farooq Abdullah had launched when he was chief minister. What happened is back in time, like going decades back, even century back, people had been given land on lease to cultivate, to graze their cattle and all that. And then another Roshni scheme, because they had had this land in position for so long, it, it happens everywhere. I mean, in Delhi, for example, there was that uh, unauthorized colonies, that law. So people who had been having uh, living there, they were given property rights, right? Similar thing happened here. So these people were given property rights for this, uh, to this land. And they have rolled back that also now. So they acquire that land also now. And that ties in with that. You remember that Sudhir Chaudhary, that land jihad thing in Jammu. So that's the whole Hindutva trope that the sort of allegation is that it was only the Muslims who were given this land. When the, when the fact is that the land given in Jammu was I think 10 or several times more than what was given in Srinagar. And now they're rolling back that also. So that was another land reform they're rolling back. Basically what the crux of the thing is that all the reforms, hard fought reforms of the last 70 years are being rolled back and Kashmir is being opened up for sale. Uh, now, this next email is, uh, and I, this is the last one I'm reading because we are already two hours in. We've got a lot of emails. You can read all these emails on our website because they will be published. The people who have written us anonymous, we will remove your names. This email is from Barun Chanda. Hello, NL crew. OG subscriber for four, more than four years here. Request you all to touch upon the Glenn Greenwald, Greenwald story as he quit The Intercept due to his own repression and censorship in an independent media outlet. 
in an independent media outlet he himself co-founded. Further, please get into News Laundry's own editorial policy and how they would have dealt with a situation like this. Also, bring back the old t-shirts, mugs, comic books and introduce some new ones. Had copped all the old merch during episode 100 Hafta recording as I came down to your office. Hey, Barun. First of all, thank you for your support. Thank you for coming down that time when you did. We have really cool merch and part of this scheme, which is Diwali Se Christmas Tak. We, we don't have new t-shirts, but we have really wonderful new mugs. We have a candle, a scented candle, which you can light. Uh, we have a really cool water bottle. We have a, a bag uh, and t-shirts and all stuff will also be coming. But regarding what happened at the Intercept, first of all, full disclosure, Intercept was funded by Pierre Omidyar entirely. Uh, the same person who founded Omidyar Network, who is also an investor in News Laundry, but they have less than 20%. I mean, it's, it's a minority investor and they don't have a board member, but it is the same person. But there, it was completely his investment. Uh, here, it's not completely uh, one party's. But I have a, I mean, on Glenn Greenwald, see, on him quitting, there are processes in place which are, you know, which come within legal boundaries. Yeah. So, you know, I have a view on the legality of things when you form an organization and whatever has been agreed on is how that legality works. So I don't know exactly what happened inside, what their processes were. I know Glenn, Glenn Greenwald has been after initially publishing all those, that whole dump of those NSA documents uh, and he had to flee US and UK. Uh, the last few years, I find him going on unhinged rants on, on social media. He is often on, you know, he was on Tucker Carlson's show. I mean, what more can I say? So I, I don't agree with what he's become. I personally think it's because of the intense trauma of how he had to flee and how he was harassed. A combination of that and spending too much time on social media, I think, fries your brain. Just going by his public utterances, I would question his rationality. He quit because he said he wanted to do some stories on Joe Biden, which they did not publish. I haven't seen the story he wanted to do. I don't know what the evidence was. The one story on Joe Biden's son's dealings was apparently some laptop had been hacked into, which was at some repairman's repair shop. Apparently, Joe Biden's son or someone in the office gave him a laptop to repair with all these incriminating mails. That story never made it to credible media because there was not enough in it. But... If his story had something, I don't see why Intercept shouldn't carry it. But I would not just take Glenn Greenwald's word for it. I think he's fallen off. He's he's unhinged. That's my view. I don't know what is our, our policy, Manisha and Mehraj can tell you. Our policy to on what? On people resigning and what are the grounds? <laughs> of the I don't know. No, I mean, our policy it, is that uh, whoever Abhinandan doesn't like is uh, fired. <laughs> right. That's our policy. No. So I read uh, the Intercept's response to, so I still have to read Glenn Greenwald's, I bookmark it for this weekend, the piece that he said was censored because he put it out. So I have to read that, whether it, you know, deserved the pushback that it got or not from the Intercept. But in uh, response to Glenn, Glenn Greenwald, Intercept <laughs> said that, basically they put out their version and they said that, you know, he believes that anyone who disagrees with him is corrupt and anyone who presumes to edit his words is a censor. And this is very true for a lot of star reporters and, you know, star journalists. They often take a front to simple editing or simple questioning that, okay, you know, you've said this, could you cite the source? You know, they because they I guess they're so used to being worshipped or 
they're so used to getting stories right or being you know being championed as, as great voices or whatever saviors of democracy that often it's true that they take very mundane acts of editing as an affront and i wouldn't be surprised if this is also what happened with glenn's case like maybe they wanted more sources maybe they wanted more uh, you know information of how where he was citing his stuff from or maybe they had simple editorial disagreements which need not necessarily mean censorship but on the other hand i've also read like i like reading matt taibbi stuff and some of the stuff that is happening in mainstream american outlets is quite intolerant of an opposing view you know because the the thought there is that you can't equate trump and biden because uh, you know biden may have things that he's done but trump is really an existential threat to us so let's forget whatever biden has done because trump is who we have to fight and that kind of doesn't go down well with a lot of uh, reporters because uh, because reporting is reporting man because reporting is, they often feel that you can't you know you can't sure. ignore what uh, this guy uh, biden stands for so i won't be very surprised if he faces a lot of resistance for publishing of that story but it's also true and this is true in india also a lot of star editors and reporters don't like to be edited you know we have had someone who has stopped writing for us because we wanted him to cite some things and he said many karunga mere ko mat karo khao kadi i mean fuck it man we don't pander which is really bad because honestly at whatever stage you are in your career as a journalist most reporters at heart should feel good about you know being asked questions if it's in the right spirit of making your piece better because ultimately the byline is the reporters you know desk gains nothing from making a piece better no but in this case what happened is apparently and i can't make sense of it for the life of me why somebody any organization would agree to this he had it in his contract that he won't be edited and he had the similar contract with guardian oh. where he worked before and with salon also before so that <laughs> i i don't know why anybody would agree to that but any case if there's a contract that says that he can't be edited on opinion pieces so then basically the intercept violated his contract and yeah. also the contract said that if they won't publish his piece for whatever reason so he was free to publish it elsewhere but in and this didn't case allow that. Huh. Uh-huh, in this case they said no it will be detrimental to us or whatever nonsense uh, so they were also That's being the bit, of it. i guess yeah. yeah they were also being a bit obtuse and also this is true what manisha was saying about like this whole partisanship because unlike in this country the establishment in that country is still this sort of liberal establishment which controls the media and the academia and they are they have been very 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 partisan towards biden i think because they are traumatized from what happened in 2016 <laughs> so, so yeah for that reason i mean it's true i mean it didn't even merit a story that the whole biden thing they didn't even i mean i saw this one anchor i think on cnn who is saying we can't verify it because we can't publish it because it, we can't verify and the guest is asking but that's your job you're a journalist that's the whole point of being a journalist you verify stuff what was it the same story with the mails from uh, apparently I, so what happened is apparently he left his laptop at some repair shop and right. then he didn't pick it up so this repair shop he saw the whatever was the contents and it, there were some incriminating mails apparently about his business dealing hunter biden's business dealings with ukraine and the allegation is that joe biden used his influence as vice president fire a prosecutor in ukraine who was looking at these shady dealings about an on the company on which his son was on the board so yeah. that was like unacceptable behavior and apparently a crime but there's no clear evidence as such and also there were some very sort of in what what way this country say uh, what do we say compromising videos of hunter biden uh, also 
the, the also the i mean i just found it rather implausible of a laptop of someone like him have given it to some shop and then within can not i mean i the story was a bit way out no but me. the thing is i mean nobody has denied that these are accurate i mean there are people have come forward who are mentioned in those emails who are saying these aren't fabricated these okay. are real so the only question the only sort of this thing is what is the source what mm. is the source nobody is saying they are fabricated what people are saying is does it prove illegality right us elections ka kya ho raha hai as we talk well as we talk i think i didn't last... get it twitter pe to sab bol rahe hain biden ji ke nahi biden this morning when he started recording he was at i think 254 but he's still not at 270 because uh, the i mean he was catching up pennsylvania really fast and uh, i think georgia also although he was behind right now as we talk trump is still ahead in georgia arizona biden is up uh, by i think about 69000 votes in pennsylvania trump is still leading but in pennsylvania in the morning when he started recording there were still 700000 ballots to be counted so they mm. say it will go on till tomorrow so i pretty much think if he wins pennsylvania he that's 20 seats he's through if he wins arizona and georgia he's through so i think biden is pretty much through our minister to is already saying uh, javedkar he tweeted out that we will be signing the declaration on climate change and all that so he's probably figured out but you know actually if, i mean i don't have much of a view on liberal non liberal whatever in the american context but in terms of planet i'm glad he goes there trump is just not good for the planet it's doubtful though whether biden will do anything either i mean he's been no, but at least he won't go on a war path and, and deny climate change and stuff like that no none of them are in, i mean essentially when it comes to industries versus climate industries would always have a stronger lobby but but there is i mean the signing of the paris summit and absolutely so it's going to be incremental and no large country is going to have a cold turkey solution to anything i mean this is what i mean that all are not the same any change will be incremental whether it is on religion whether it is on power dynamics now that incrementalism can be sped up a little by some it can slow down a little by some but he was taking oh, it backward like oh, was, over overnight no american president is going to say we will come all the troops on ground will come back from afghanistan germany iraq it's not going to happen it just depends on the level of how the rhetoric and actually if you want to pull out of the climate <laughs> climate accord then that is like serious shit but uh, let's come with the recommendations uh, before we say goodbye and before the recommendations can i please request all of you to contribute to news laundry as you know we have a case also happening uh, i think we'll have another hearing sometime this week uh, we're going to put up a separate page for our legal fund i think we already spent maybe i think 2 lakh 50 or 2 lakh 60 um i think the cost of this will go north of 3 lakh so we'll set up a separate legal fund because i think as we get more and more relevant which clearly we are getting we'll get more and more legal cases on us which we will happily fight without the support and we don't please don't support us republic of india because that would be a disgrace uh, we'll fight in court uh, with all the forces uh, and uh, resources at our disposal and prateek uh, will continue to do the reporting he's doing uh, we shall not be intimidated by any large political parties or media outfits and you can write into us at contact@newslaundry.com and repeat contact@newslaundry.com with your suggestions and recommendations and do pick up your diwali and christmas gifts from the news laundry merch swag because uh, you'll be giving a good gift and supporting independent media so recommendations ladies and gents miraj uh, so uh, since we were talking about the land laws in kashmir Uh, there's this piece on inverse journal written by muzammil jalil uh, it's titled new land laws put all of kashmir up for sale 
explain, explains in great detail exactly what's happening and what's going to happen. And another piece, it's a little older. It's in the New York Times. It's called The Erasure of Mesut Ozil. It's about this Arsenal football player who dared to question the Chinese treatment of the Uyghur Muslims. And he has been pretty much what he had to suffer through it and the professional and personal consequences of that. I mean, it's a fascinating read. In the context of this whole, uh, this freedom of speech issues and this whole thing, it's really... Yeah, he's even because he, I think, uh, went and had a photograph with Erdogan. He was criticized for that. Then today, I think he, whenever it was Shahrukh's birthday, he's tweeted a picture of him. Yesterday. Yesterday. So yeah, Ozil has got a lot of, um, yeah, right. Thank you for that, Miraj, Manisha. So definitely our report on how Pratik is being hounded by the Pawar backed Sakal Times simply because we reported on layoffs. I watched Scam, so I would highly recommend that on Sony Live. And it, I mean, apart from glimpses into stock exchange and how things, you know, happened back then. And of course, Harshad Mehta's life. It's also great to see how journalism functioned back then. You had the RBI governor giving tip-offs. You uh, journalists would be invited by politicians to look into files and probes, and there was—I mean, all said and done, there was this public interest that you know that you can see in that movie of even politicians and bureaucrats wanting the truth out for public consumption, reaching out to journalists for that. I can't imagine that happening today—an RBI governor giving a tip off to a journalist or politicians inviting a journalist to scrutinize, you know, JPC files. So I thought that was—it was really nice, and and also um, Harshad Mehta. You know, giving an interview to Sucheta Dalal after everything that she reported on him. There was this understanding that, okay, you were doing your job, I was doing my job. Uh, very different from times that we are in today. And also a piece on CNBC TV 18 on uh, Harshad Mehta again and whether he was a mastermind or a fall guy of security scam. Right. So thank you for that. I too would recommend you read the case of, of Pratik's reporting and also Pratap Bhanu's Mehta's piece, uh, which is a last... Thursday on November 5th in defense of liberty, it is time to stand up for individual freedoms against all challengers. This I had actually read over the weekend, although it was last week. I think it's a good piece. It's nuanced. It's the context of what happened in France. And I guess it has many, many, it's relevant on many levels. So that's my recommendation. On that note, thanks Manisha. Thanks Maharaj. Have a good weekend. I hope your tests come negative. Hopefully next week we can all record from office and Manisha can record nuisance and... I'm on leave. I'm going Oh, home. yes, you're on leave next I week. won't be there. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So, anyway, uh, we shall see you next hafta without Manisha, but with uh, Jeshree and Mehraj and Anand and whoever else can make it. Until then, have a good weekend. Take care of yourself. And happy Diwali to our listeners. I'm saying that in advance. Oh, yes. Happy Diwali. You won't be there for Diwali. Bye-bye. Have fun. I shall leave you with this song. So
All the News Laundry podcasts are available on Stitcher, iTunes and any other podcast platform. Please subscribe to News Laundry. Help us keep news independent. To catch all our podcasts on news, pop culture, current affairs and sport, visit newslaundry.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and subscribe to our YouTube channel.